Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. We are going to talk to you today about the Nations League draw. We're going to talk about some transfers, which may or may not happen. I've got my fingers crossed about a few of them involving Welsh players. And we're going to answer a load of questions that we've had saved up from you that you've sent us that we've not been able to get round to in the next uh, in the next few hours. I was going to say, I hope, to, I hope it doesn't last that long for you, for everyone else's sake. Um, <laughs> Even by our standards, that wouldn't be good. Hello. <laughs> Hello. As always, I am joined. Uh, by Ruth, how are you doing, Ruth? You're right. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll get to the um, the whole kind of escapades over the vacation, but no, we're doing all right. <laughs> yes. Uh, let Let's start there. Uh, did you have a nice Christmas? Most importantly, Ruth. We did. We did. It snowed and everything. It was actually lovely. So you so you had a genuine white Christmas. Yes, we had a genuine white Christmas. Then had the consequences of trying to get trying to get our son back to his place in you know. 10 inches of snow, but otherwise good. Uh, very exciting. Uh, I um, had a good Christmas myself, managed to get home back to Wales, drove uh, drove all the way back, uh, had a million things in the back, including our dog, which was great. We had a lovely time at home, went to see some football. I went to watch Bristol City play with my mate O's, which was good. Um, and then we tried to come home, uh, which is when things turned disastrous. Um, we were about five minutes away from the Channel Tunnel with a car full of stuff in the pouring down rain and a dog. And uh, the car just gave up. I went to change gear and the car just shuddered to a stop. Very lucky to find uh, a recovery guy who came and recovered uh, and took us to a place. And the bloke basically said, in no uncertain terms, your car's knackered, mate. So we are now in the middle of nowhere near Folkestone with a dog, uh, two persons worth of stuff, a suitcase, all sorts of nonsense, and uh, no way of getting home. But we were very, very lucky to, to come across some nice people who managed to lend us a car, a pub who kind of put us up for the day whilst we were doing all our admin and kept us fed and drank. So um, a fairly dodgy end, I will say, to our to our to our Christmas break but we managed to get home most importantly I managed to get back to work today which would have been a real problem but uh, yes it was uh, a good Christmas less good journey home and uh, a very expensive journey home as well but there you are you've not uh, joined us today to listen to me tell you how shit my journey home uh, from Wales was last week so we will move on and talk about the Nations League first things first Ruth what were your thoughts were you happy with the draw I think so overall. Um, I, I, I always go back to that. I just don't want to face England. Um, so I think as soon as as soon as we got past the Poland and not England thing, I really didn't care what happened after that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm happy for you, obviously, combination <laughs> of the Netherlands and Belgium. Um, I mean, we were going to get Belgium. We were always going to get Belgium. It's just the way of the world, isn't it? And then... Um, yeah, I think all things considered, there's it, it, it is it is what it is. And it was it was just lovely to be in the in the kind of that pot discussed amongst you know to be referred to as the elite of European football. Yeah. Here come these sixteen teams. You know that side of it was was uh, that was pretty enjoyable actually. No, it was, and and do you know what? It was always going to be a tough draw, wasn't it? I mean, when you say you were you were in the, we're one of the top sixteen teams in Europe, which is an amazing sentence to say, um, we were never going to have an easy game. Uh, with that said, I do think looking at that, 
you know, we'll go through the teams in a bit of, you know, relative detail, but Netherlands and Poland are, are certainly beatable teams and we got a point off Belgium in the last campaign. So, you know, if we're looking at our aim being to kind of stay up, if you like, I do think that's doable in the circus. It won't be easy. And I'm sure those other three teams will be looking at Wales thinking that's the team we need to beat home and away if we're going to stay up as well. So I, I do think, you know, there's there's that element of it as well. But overall, I'm delighted. You know, the Netherlands, obviously, the Amsterdam Arena is about 45 minutes from me. So uh, I'm absolutely <laughs> delighted about that. Um, getting getting to Brussels and back and forth, I reckon I can do uh, in a night, which will be uh, which will be fantastic as well. So, you know, the only trick is, tricky trip is Poland away, really. So I'm sure I'll manage to, uh, you know, wangle an afternoon off here or there to, uh, to, sort, to sort myself out. Um, to, to look at the teams in a bit more detail, I mean, I, I would, you know, wonder what you think really, but in my in my view, Netherlands and Poland are, are, are both beatable. I think we have the potential, I think we have the potential to take points off all, all three of them, you know, but equally we could, we could, we could lose all six games as well. So, I mean, and that's, in some respects, that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? It's meant to be, um, you know, sort of even playing field games, as it were. It's meant it's meant to be unpredictable, unpredictably close. It's meant to be, um, competi- you know, competition at your level. And so, on that basis, we could take points. We could we we, we could lose all of them. And I think Poland probably would have been my choice out of that tier. I think they're they're sort of trending in the in the wrong direction. Um, although they're clearly obviously still a strong, strong team. The Netherlands are still, they're, they're better than they were undoubtedly, but they're still a little unpredictable. And, and Belgium, we, we, we seem to be able to do things against the Belgians. So as you say, if the intention is to try and stay in that elite league, then I think this is probably as good a chance as we're going to, you know, a, a good combination of games as we were going to have. Um, I think the fact that they come so fast on top of each other might might be a problem for us. I think I think we'd probably be served better with them being, the games being spread out a bit. Um, but all in all, you know, it it is what it is. I do think there's a bigger picture. Um, as far as I'm aware, UEFA haven't yet said what. Uh, how how the Nations League will be used for backdoor qualifying for the Euros. Uh, because if you if you kind of follow the sequence of what they've done, the, the first Nations League enabled backdoor qualifying for the Euros, which which we didn't need, um, is how North Macedonia got in, for example. And then the second round of the Nations League, when we won our Group B uh, mini league, gave us backdoor qualification to the World Cup playoffs. So if that cycle continues, you'd assume that there's going to be a backdoor qualification to the Euros from this draw. And then the next time there's a backdoor qualification to the World Cup. And I I mean, it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of ifs and buts in there. But I do think it was helpful for us to have the, the sort of reserve, reserved playoff place going into those World Cup qualifiers. And I wonder if we if we were really going to play the game here, where whether we'd be better off going back down to the League B strata and and using it as a, a way to have a potentially have a, a, a backdoor way into the World Cup playoffs. I know I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but it does 
it does make you think about what's the best outcome for us is actually staying at this level the best outcome for us well it's interesting i was going to ask you about that anyway i, I do want to go back one step um just to say mm -hmm. about the netherlands and poland i think it's important to note with the dutch they're very much a team in transition i think they're on their third manager in about 18 months or something I don't think they play in inverted commas the Dutch way as as others would like. No, and, and equally and that's they are. Causing, that's causing issues, is it, Dave? Yeah, I, I don't think Dutch fans are particularly happy with the way the national team is at the minute. I think there's also a bit of a mixture of younger players coming through who are talented but don't necessarily always produce for the Dutch, um, and equally other people who perhaps would not have got in in years gone by um you know there's a guy called Berghaus who used to play for Feyenoord has moved to Ajax um and he's in and around the squad and you know you know speaking to people here he's someone who I don't think would necessarily get in uh in in days gone by and even Memphis Depay who is obviously a talented player I don't think he's at the elite level of some of them but then the flip side is they've got De Ligt and uh Van Dijk at the back so they're obviously very strong defensively there are quite an unbalanced team in that sense I think but it's going to be really interesting they've definitely got a lot of good players they've definitely got weaknesses through their squad as well um and they definitely haven't got the depth of squad i think that's certainly true compared to years gone by as well so they're an interesting one um they also you know uh, definitely fallible they you know they drew with montenegro and norway in the qualifiers they drew with the scots in a in a friendly before the euros they lost quite heavily to turkey 4-2 um so again you know there's definite opportunity for us there and I'd say similar for Poland you know they didn't have the easiest World Cup qualifiers group but they ran England twice but then they did draw and lose to Hungary as well so you know it, they are quite an interesting one I certainly think you know we talk about that's my next point really is the the closeness of the games I think we would suffer if let's say Ramsey or Bale um, who've just you know fresh from keeping Newcastle United in the Premier League um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> If they if they were to be injured, for example, in that spell, then that would be really a big deal for us for them to miss those three weeks. Equally, I would say if Poland missed Lewandowski for those three weeks through injury, then that goes in our favour. So I do think that's that's a two way street in that sense. But I do think that affects us more than others, but in the sense that we don't have much depth, as I said about the Netherlands, but obviously in in a, in a slightly different way. Um, mm -hmm. The timings of the four games in three weeks is an interesting one. I, I kind of like the idea of it being almost a mini summer tournament. Um, yeah. But I think for away fans, obviously I, I I'm. Uh, a gleeful exception to that but for most for most away fans that's a fairly tricky thing to do in three weeks um you know looking at the home and away games there's a lot of flying around were you to want to do those so there's there's that element um as well the, the last thing i was going to say is i wonder if as you say the, the backdoor entry thing to the euros world cup i think that's definitely part of it equally i whilst it's great having all these games i did feel like in league B that we could kind of experiment with things and it gave us an opportunity to look at younger players and different systems and whatever yeah. and it almost didn't matter because we were fairly confident that we were going to stay up so to speak um, and then if we kind of lucked out and we could go up then then happy days and it did kind of work out that way I don't want to say lucked out but we did have a relatively easy group I think so it, you know I wonder how it's going to be approached because it's not just the systems or whatever. You know, is this the window to give Brennan Johnson some caps? Because really, if you're looking to win these games, then he's probably off, you know, our, our set of first reserves along with Harry Wilson. So I was wondering what you think the approach would be, not just 
into like putting aside if you like the qualifying and the backdoor entry and whatever more the look of how do we do we use this as an opportunity to experiment with players and systems or do we lose this as an opportunity to kind of test ourselves against the big boys i think it i think what happens in march will play a factor there dave it, i think it depends whether you're preparing for a world cup or not true i think if you're not preparing for a world cup you there are some players that will be looking to transition out, sadly. Um, and some, as you say, that, you know, give the Brandon Johnsons of the world more time. Um, but if we're preparing for a World Cup, then I think it's a, ba a balance of genuine sort of preparatory games for that in terms of system and personnel, but also not overloading some players as well, depending on you know, how concertina the season gets with COVID makeup dates, you know, which teams may or may not go deeper in, in cup competitions and the like, and, you know, how much mileage people have on the clock. I think, I think it's actually going to be a very, um, a very open question until we're one, the other side of March and two, um, look at people's, look at people's sort of workload really. Yeah, I haven't really taken into account the March factor in that, but that's true. I'd imagine if, for example, we don't qualify, I, you know, I, I can see Gareth Bale hanging it up at that stage, if I'm honest. Um, you know, so they're, they're, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. I think the other thing here is is that we do have to prepare for the fact that Gareth Bale, let's say, is going to retire likely in the next two and a half years. You know, he's not going to, he's certainly not going to see another World Cup campaign. I don't think. So we do need to start that phase if you like of what's coming next and I think if we don't start that soon we're going to be in that weird little window that we were maybe 10 or so years ago when we had a chunk of players retire gigs savage whatever that's probably more than 10 years ago and I'm trying to do the maths very quickly in my head but you you know my point uh, is that we were left with a lot of inexperienced players and it took a long time to get those players your Hennessy's Gunters whatever it took a long time to get them that experience and up to that level and I think we sort of have to take the chance here and and give a few of those players a, a runaround regardless of what happens with the World Cup because you know let's say we do qualify Bale Ramsey whatever probably will need a rest equally if we don't qualify for the World Cup then there's no point to almost playing Bale because he's probably, that might be it for him. Similarly with Ramsey, we know what he can do. He's probably best served having a rest. So it is an interesting balance that needs to be struck there. So for me, I would personally like to see us treat them as almost kind of glamour friendlies and, and give other people a go in the sense that very soon they will be required to step into the place of Bale, etc. I don't disagree. I just, I just think if you, if we are off to Qatar, I think it just puts a a different a different slant that, as you say, that sort of mini tournament, what its purpose is, is quite different at that point. I think, I think I'm with you. I think if we're not going to Qatar, it's a time to um, add, as you say, add add some experience in in sort of big in inverted commas, big games for some of the players and um, almost treat it as, a, as you said, like a mini tournament. You've got this, you know, three, three week or so window, which is not, not dissimilar to a, you know, a group stage for qualifying in the tournament and just, just kind of frame it in that way and, and blood some players and accept that you might end up going down to the, to the, 
to the B groups and it's not the end of the world if you do. No, I agree. And I think going down to the B groups, if you like, will almost be a happy outcome bonus, if you like, because of what it might offer for us moving forward. So, I, you know, there is mm-hmm. that, there's all, it's almost a bonus. I don't want to look at it that way of going down, but there is sort of that element to it, I think. Um, obviously, we've mentioned a few. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think if we end up going down because we, you know, like one goal, goal difference with, with, Poland or something like that. I think I think that's very different than than not getting any points in the six games and very much being the kind of uh, minnows of minnows of the group. I think that leaves you with a sort of different taste in your mouth than just just going down, as it were. And I think I think how I think the how we would slip into Group B would be important if that was the outcome. Yeah, I think so. I think if we'd done it the right way, if there's a right way to get relegated, like you say, then I think that has a different uh, outlook on it than than anything else. Obviously, we've mentioned uh, we'll be looking kind of at the the Nations League in more depth as those games kind of come around at the end of the June. Obviously, we've got uh, bigger fish to fry come March before that. So uh, that'll be our next focus. I feel like that's giving me a headache already. Someone told me that was, I think I saw on Twitter today, it's 10 weeks today or something like that, that our, that our first game is. I'm not sure I'm emotionally prepared for that just yet. But anyway, uh, we will get to my state of emotional despair in a few months, I am sure. Um, we wanted to talk about transfers. I jokingly, in inverted commas, touched on the Ramsey and Bale playing, playing for Newcastle. Um, I've, I've very recently done a, a blog, which you can find at colemanhadadream.com, about this obviously Newcastle are you know willing to spend the spend the cash I'm I'm not hiding the fact that I'm a big Newcastle fan and I think there's five Wales players that would kind of make a big difference for them um two of those that I mentioned in that article are Ramsey and Rodden I saw today that well just before we started recording actually that Ramsey's just tested positive for Covid so I don't know if that affects his likelihood of uh, sign in for another team and what the impact for that is. Obviously, it means he won't be able to play for a couple of weeks at least anyway. But um, he's obviously leaving Juve. They've said he's 99% leaving somewhere. I think I've heard a few different stories, one of which is that he wants to stay close to his family. So then you're looking at either a London club or a, a, a Midlands club. So likely likely uh, Villa, who've been looking to kind of splash the cash a little bit. Um, even Everton, perhaps, um, who also have kind of got a few quid knocking about and, and certainly need improvements in that squad. Um, taking my Newcastle hat off and, and hopefully your uh, desire to appease me away, um, where do you think that Aaron might end up in this window? Is everything all right there? I know. I've just, I, I don't know what's happened just downstairs, but we'll, we'll plough on. Um. I mean, to be honest, if you if you look through the reports, I think everywhere apart from perhaps the big three have been reportedly, you know, showed some interest. Burnley, Leeds, West Ham, Arsenal, Crystal Palace. Um, I think, to be honest, I'm not. I I wouldn't pretend to be overly. Like I, I'm, I'm not sure there's a club immediately that I feel is necessarily a good match. You're either you're either looking at a club like Newcastle who are scrobbling at the bottom of the league and they've got myriad problems. And are they actually going to get people who 
want to be there for the fight or are they going to get a group of players that want to be there for the money? And I know which which group I think Ramsey falls into, but you're talking about, a, you know, yeah. across the board incoming. Um, so that has its that has its sort of health warnings with it. Then I think somewhere like Leeds, I just don't think he's I just don't think he's got the kind of um, there's not the verve to his game because of his health concerns and his injuries concerns that I think might would make him a good fit with the Elsa. Um, I, Arsenal feels like a backward step. I don't think he'll go to Spurs because of Arsenal. Um, I think I'd probably favour West Ham or Crystal Palace of the rumours at the minute. And I don't know if I'm being pulled towards Crystal Palace because Oshin's there and I kind of feel that might mean that Aaron's looked after a bit better. And I know that's an assumption that I probably shouldn't make. Um, but I, I can't get past the fact that that makes me just a bit more comfortable with him being at that club. Um, so I think I would be leaning to the Crystal Palace option at the minute. Well, balls to you. Um, I, <laughs> for what it's worth, I, I, I don't disagree really. I, I think he's. I'm sure he'll have some sort of roots in London. I don't know if he's still got a house there. Um, it's not a million, you know, years ago that he left. I agree with you about Arsenal. I don't think he'll go to West Ham. I don't think. Um, I don't really think that'd work. I. My thing about Palace is the wages. I, I agree entirely with you about the Oshan, and I think that may even be a pull for him. And I'm, you know, if that deal was there to be done, I'm sure Oshan would have a big hand in that. Um, I, I just, I would imagine. I don't know, but I would imagine that that would be some some pay cut that he would have to take. I mean, mm-hmm. he's rumored to be on half a million euros a week, um, which is about what four hundred grand a week, I think, probably. Are they going to be, you know, are they going to pay him half that? I, I. Again, I I don't know what his motivation is. I and I know it's not mu- just money, but I yeah. tell you now, you know, it's a big step. Move, you know, four hundred grand a week to two hundred grand a week, and even then, are they paying that? I I'm not sure they would. So I'm just not sure financially they could make the deal work, depending on what it what it was. I think mm-hmm. the reason for me that the Newcastle again, uh, my bias aside, the reason the Newcastle link works for me is the finances. I think it's the sort of thing that might appeal to him in the sense that you are coming in, you're going to play every week. There's no question about it. You're going to be our main man. You want to be the captain, mate? You be the captain. Um, Get us out of this trouble. Be the first building block, if you like, on this journey that we're going to go on. And and I, I I do see that appealing to him. I, you know, I don't think... You know, there's no footballer out there that hasn't got an ego. And I think if you can stroke that ego a little bit and, you know, make that appeal to him, I think, you know, looking at the others around him, if we're being realistic, you know, is if is he going to be the main man even if he goes to, you know, Everton? Probably not. You know, is he going to be the main man at Leicester? Definitely not. You know, it kind of depends at this stage of his life and career what he wants. Does he want to go out, you know, being a hero and being adored somewhere? Or does he, you know, want to contribute to... You know, coming sixth every year. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I do think there's there's relative merits in the Newcastle thing. For what it's worth, I don't actually think it'll happen. I, I think it's it's unrealistic for him to come and, and play for a team who are where we are in the league. Um, I, I don't know. If I'm honest, my gut feeling is he ends up through COVID or an injury thing or whatever. I can I can really see him just staying at Juve for for six more months and and making a fresh decision 
in, in the summer, which I appreciate is not glamorous or exciting, but that is what my, my gut feeling tells me. But uh, what do I know? Um, the other one is Joe Rodden. That wouldn't, that, wouldn't surprise, that wouldn't surprise me, Dave, actually, all things considered. Um, you know, the upheaval of moving now, the, the, the whole kind of COVID mess that we're in at the minute, the style of clubs that seem to be approaching him. I mean, he may just be better off, as you say, just sit, sit put till the summer. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and the other thing to go with that as well, just, just finally, is, you know, what is there a fee involved? Are they letting him go for free just to get him off the bill? Would does a loan work for anyone? I know you know it's only the tenth of January today. There's still twenty odd days left here, but I do still think there's a lot of questions to any deal that need to be done, and I'm not sure how capable we are of answering those questions. Or anyone is given he's now got COVID. How does that affect his travel? Where is he now? You know, can he go to a club to even sign the paper? Like, do you know what I mean? Even logistically, yeah. this now raises a lot of questions. So that's my gut feeling anyway, based on the absolutely nothing. Um, Joe Rodden is the other one uh, that has been linked to Newcastle that I mentioned in my article. I think he's massive for Wales at the moment. And I think it's so, so important that he gets out and plays games somewhere and can go on loan. Obviously, I think, again, with my black and white tinted spectacles on, I think he would be a great addition for us. He'd play every week. He's the kind of player we need. He'd be a massive improvement for us. Again, you could sell that to him as the you're going to be the first person who can be part of this journey you're young you can be on this whole thing together you can be our Vincent company type player um I think the reality of the situation is that Spurs have injury worries I think they have a mm. mixed mixed bag at the back and yes he's not playing but all it needs is a couple of injuries and then you're leaning on people like Joe so from a selfish perspective I can yeah. see why Spurs would want to keep him so it's it's a funny one that I think from a Wales perspective he needs to get out on loan with these two games coming up in March they are two games one one may not be important but there are two um so I, I do think he needs that game time but I'm I'm just not sure that that Spurs are in the right place to let him go if I'm honest that that's my concern as well I actually think he would be a really good purchase or loan for Newcastle I think you look at what's happening in Central D there, and I think he would be a huge asset for you. Um, but I can't see Spurs being in a hurry to let him go. I mean, what would what would make it different now that they would let him go out on the loan that might not have applied last summer, other than it's a different manager? But the circumstances in terms of their thinness of squad and and the, you know the difference between their starting, they're one of the clubs that really suffer from not having a great depth below their starting 11. Um, and I think I think they'll hang on to him. Um, it doesn't help us. doesn't help the Welsh team. He really should be progressing more than he is. Um, but I, I don't think there's an impetus for, for Spurs to do something about it. No, I, neither do I. The only thing that I hadn't considered before, and... Uh, Ewan Roberts made a good point on Edgefoff, which is this is now the third manager that Joe has played under. And he's not been fancied by any of them. It, it does it does raise an interesting question. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, 
And I don't know what the answer to that is or the solution. But again, if I'm Joe Rodden or his agent, I'm saying, well, look, lads, three people have come here and none of them have fancied me. The fella who bought me it didn't. The fella who replaced him didn't. The new fella doesn't mind me on the bench, but that's about as far as it goes. I think I did some research in my article. I think he's contributed to one league game this season. I think he played 70 minutes once this season. And that's it. You know, considering we're at the half point, halfway point of the season, that's that's really not very much. So, something definitely isn't right there. I don't know. I don't know what that something is, but there is something that's not right there. So, again, I don't know what the answer is, but I do think he needs to get alone. But as I say, my gut is that it doesn't happen. I would absolutely adore it to be Newcastle United, but um, I really, really don't think that's uh, that's going to happen. I mean, there's question marks over others as well. Nico Williams has said apparently that he would love to get out and get some game time. I don't know. I think again he would be another good fit for Newcastle, who are desperate for 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 a left back. Um, I don't. I just again, I, Liverpool seem reluctant to let him out on loan. They seem happy for him to come on and be their backup. He's having you know fifteen minute shows here, there, and everywhere. They've got yeah. a lot of games. Um, Cups you look and, at, and whatever. You look so. at how many games they they've got coming up, Dave. I think I can't see them re- releasing him for a loan because because they want that depth behind uh, Trent Alexander Arnold. They want to have the versatility, the fact that he can play both. Nico can play both sides. You know, I think I think unfortunately for some of these young players, they're at, they're at very good clubs, and by nature, those very good clubs can afford to keep big, expensive, skilled squads. And there isn't the impetus on the on the clubs to do to do anything. And, and in some respects, I think Nico, of all the clubs that are behaving that way, Liverpool do seem to be attentive to their younger players a bit more than some of the other clubs. So I think the irony is that perhaps if he's going to be in that bracket, he's in a reasonable place to be in that bracket. Um, his quotes were quite interesting because it was it was more um, reading the article. It was more the questions were more kind of like you know what are your new year's resolutions? And his new year's resolution was I'd like to get more playing time. Yeah. And of course, that's then been interpreted as you've got to go somewhere else to do it. He doesn't actually say that. In fairness, no, that's a fair point. And and I do wonder as well with Salah and Mane off to the to the Afcon. Uh, if there's you know a window now for a month six weeks whatever for him to maybe play more um obviously the fullback roles may perhaps be taken but we know and I'm sure Liverpool know he's capable of of playing further up the pitch obviously I'm not suggesting he can replace them necessarily but there could be a role in the team because of what they will have to jig around and redo because of those two players not being around so there is also that element to it as well which I, I do think again lends itself to not to him not going out on loan. Is there anyone else you think that, you know, could could be on the move from a Welsh, Welsh perspective? The one I worry about, as it were, is Brennan Johnson. Not as much as the problems that Rodden and Nico Williams are facing, I wouldn't want Johnson to be grabbed by a premiership club and basically then just sit on the shelf in the way that they've had to. So he's the one I worry about. Um, I'm hoping that Forrest are doing well enough that they can keep, you know, pushing the bids away. Um, I think they rejected a big bid from Brentford. Um, so that would be my worry there. Um, there's all sorts of rumours about 
Bale, isn't there? And, you know, even going back to Southampton and, and those sorts of things. Um, I saw today as well that there was a Kiefer Mortar Bournemouth rumour, which I thought was quite interesting. I'm not sure about that one. Um, but yeah, I think Brennan Johnson is actually the one I worry about for the reasons that we've been exploring. I think I would agree with you if it was the summer. I think for now, I think mm-hmm. I think he'll be okay. I think he's more valuable to to Forrest in their team than having a few quid in the bank. I don't know what their financial situation is. Um, but I also don't think that there's many teams above them who would be able to put a deal together to make it worthwhile. Brentford probably being the only exception. I, I don't think there's many Premier League teams who would buy him and, and for him to be one for the future and sit on the bench. Do you know what I mean? I think maybe Brentford, he could go in there. I could see him go into Leeds because he is quite dynamic. And But again, do they need that sort of player? I'd say probably not. So I, I don't worry about him doing that for now. I do worry about that happening for him in the future and doing a bit like Ethan Ampadu's doing, kind of bopping around yeah. a bit. But I think for now, he's okay there. The Bale thing, I think he's going to see out the year at Madrid. I think there's money to be had there. I don't think he really cares i don't think he's going to move his family halfway through the year i think he'll i think he'll come back and reassess his options um in the in the summer um who was the other one you mentioned there? he's, Sorry. he's not he's not traveled to to is it saudi arabia they're going to for some game thing he's not traveled with them which is quite interesting whether that means there's things bubbling at this yeah end. maybe I mean, or he could just not be recovered from injury yet and needs a bit of, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, who was the other, <laughs> yeah, who was the other one you mentioned there? Sorry, you mentioned one more in that little list. Kiefer Moore. Oh, there Kiefer was a rumour of him going to Bournemouth, which I found quite interesting. Doesn't seem a natural fit to my mind. No, although I suppose they could use him as a plan B. He was another one I mentioned in my article, actually. I think it would be great for Newcastle. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I've not heard any rumours. I'd be very, very surprised. Um, but I do think Harder for now. In a, in a tricky position where they, you know, I don't want to start looking at clubs because I don't know enough about these things, but Cardiff are in a tricky position, I think, where they might get, you know, a few players might get poached from them given, you know, they're in a very precarious position in the league. I, you know, I don't think they're exactly flush financially. And I think they've got three or four players either for the future or for now who who could certainly do a job at least further up that division. Um and I would, and I would even put uh, Kiefer Moore in the bracket of being a good backup Premier League striker um, for mm-hmm. for a certain type of club. Again, Newcastle being one of them. I think if there's talk of Chris Wood going to Newcastle, which I wouldn't be mad on, but if I'm Burnley, I think they could do worse things than then try and pick up Kiefer Moore as well. So I I, I do think it's an interesting one that, um, and and I I can see that happening. That's the one I worry about most in terms of the Welsh clubs losing someone and then what that impact that has on that player. Like you say, if, if he goes to Bournemouth, I don't think he's going to, I don't think he would start every week given the style of play and he would be he would be their backup, their, their plan B, their guy to kind of get them over the line when they needed to. So um, yeah, I, that's the one I worry about. But again, if he came to Newcastle, I do think he would play very regularly. So, and I think he's got, you know, he would suit, he'd be a great plan B for us. He would help bring in, um, you know, players into the game like, St. Maximan, Joe Linton, Fraser. Um, so, you know, there is, you know, again, I'm being very one-eyed about that, but I, I do think there's, he could do that role for a couple of clubs as well. Um, not just Newcastle that are kind of in that bottom half. If I'm if I'm Leeds, he's probably quite a good one to look at there. They haven't, you know, Bamford's there. He's unreliable fitness-wise. Um, could he go there and be their backup number two, similar type of players? He'll press, he's fit, he's energetic. Um, you know, 
there there are a couple in in and around that sort of spot. Watford too even. Um, perhaps need need someone who's going to score them goals. So there are definitely options out there, I think, for Kiefer Moore, but I would worry about that for Cardiff. Um, I think that is it on transfers. We've done a lot of waffle there. There's no actual concrete evidence of anything we've, we've actually got to say. So um, that is uh, great stuff, as always, from us. Um, we wanted to rattle through some questions that you gave us. We're very grateful for everyone who sends us these questions in. Um, Sometimes our waffle or the the circumstance of things that happen means we can't always get round to them. So Ruth has very uh, helpfully, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Got them all together is is a less is a more simple way. Collated. Collated. I was going to say accumulated, but I'm not sure. I'm over. Anyway, shut up. So um, to look at these questions, um, we're going to start with a big question, um, and then we'll see how we go. Giggs is on trial on the 24th of January. Uh, with the March games approaching, should Noel Mooney clarify our medium and long-term plan or position for our head coach and manager? There's some knock-on questions there. What happens if he's not guilty? Um, that is from Complicated Illusions on Twitter, which is a fantastic name as, a, as an aside. Um, with I don't want to go too deep into this because we have touched on this a lot. Just in, you know, I was going to say a word, a yes or no. It is more than a yes or no, but in a sentence maybe should Noel Mooney do that or is he kind of in a position where he just has to let this play out I think we've we've passed we've long since passed the point where it would have made any sense for the FAW to do that given it's what now 14 months since this first started um I, I don't think it makes sense for the FAW to suddenly make make any sort of position statement now, particularly with the with the trial um, two weeks away. Um, there's it, it is it is a difficult situation, isn't it? Because his my understanding is that his contract runs until now, unless we're still involved with the World Cup. So obviously, if he were in charge at the moment and none of this was happening, it, he would have a contract that runs till at least March and potentially would run through the end of the year and Qatar. So I think, I don't think anything changes in that respect, particularly with the trial now being so close. I think at this point, the FAW just needs to see what the outcome is of the trial. And then, um, then obviously the, the outcome will will affect whether he's an innocent man who still has a, a job in that sense, or whether the FAW can actually move and and kind of close this. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one. I agree with you entirely. I don't think they are going to come out and say anything on the basis that they haven't so far. Why would they now with this kind of so close? Yeah. I agree it might be worth them you know, discussing the long-term plan or at least saying something along the lines of this is the situation contractually should, you know, but I, I mean, I'm just saying that because I want to know. I, I don't think that's actually going to happen. The one thing that does interest me is if he's found not guilty, and I've I've made this point before, I think there's a big difference between being found not guilty and, and actually being innocent. I think you can be found not guilty but doesn't necessarily mean you didn't do it it just didn't it means you couldn't prove it um i think those are two kind of different things i don't want to go too far down this particular rabbit hole but my thing for me is i just hope that somewhere someone has done a deal 
and that you've got to imagine that they have with gigs and his people and whoever that regardless of the outcome of this he's not coming back I, I don't think they would have made the fuss if you like of of page being kind of given that role if if he was gonna if there was any sort of chance he was going to come back especially more than anything i just you know how does that look to the players if this guy has done so much for us got us through this qualifying group and then what if he wants to come in and change all these systems? What happens to Alan Nil, who's done all these, you know, change the way we play or the style of we play and come up with a new tactical plan for the sake of these two massive games? I, I just I just don't see a way that it's likely for him to come back, regardless of the outcome. And I would hope, 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 hope that the FAW would have made some sort of deal in that sense, regardless of the outcome. And they're just not allowed to announce it until this has all been cleared up. But I mean, again, that's me kind of being pie in the sky I guess um, obviously I mentioned Nil there Alan Nil um, Paul Godding has got in touch and asked us um, about these influence on our flying wingbacks situation we did kind of touch on this briefly I think uh, in a couple of pods ago but I think it's worth mentioning again because I'm happy to admit that I got this wrong he's obviously had a big impact and, and that has changed the way we play I think the most notable uh, thing if you like uh, about it is the way we pushed Belgium in in terms of pushing our fullbacks up and the, the attacking impact they had Nico Williams especially um, and I think that's really starting to click now so I, I think obviously I'm happy to admit that I got that wrong but um, is it is it fair to say he is having that big influence on it Ruth? I think so um, I think I don't know if you listened to Rob Page's um, podcast that he did with Scorio just before Christmas and he actually made this point that you know he he felt that um Alan Nil was genuinely responsible for the for the change and given his background um assisting Chris Wilder at Sheffield United in particular although um they've been together since Northampton um that the he was extremely instrumental and sort of it was his innovation that changed that. So I think, I think there's a temptation when you see someone coming into the national side in that way to kind of look at their managerial history when actually it's their coaching history that's probably more important for that role. And I would agree with you. I think I think I I slid into perhaps looking at his managerial history and what had happened at Bury and you know that side of things yeah when actually in terms of his coaching background he's he's been instrumental in a lot of successful clubs and when someone Chris like Chris Wilder wants you as his number two repeatedly and to the point where where they're now back together at Middlesbrough I think that speaks well of his coaching talent and so I I think actually I you know I have to hold my hand up as well I think there's more to this than and it's a more positive step than perhaps I saw it as originally. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm in, I'm in full agreement there. I think he's obviously made a massive contribution. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to, as, as always, in fact, be wrong. Um, just, just on, on that, going back to the gig situation, it, in that same interview, Page was of, was clearly talking about the March games like they were going to be his. You know, they were his responsibility. There was no kind of. Um, clauses to how he was talking about the March game. So that makes me think 
but your point about it it is decided the situation is decided it's just not public yeah. it, it can that kind of backs it up let's let's hope i'm right there for once um <laughs> Galois in France uh, has got in touch. He's actually changed his name to Galois was in France. As I, I think he has moved. So I'm, I'm slightly disappointed he's not changed that to Galois in France. But uh, I hope he considers changing his Twitter name on, on that suggestion. He has asked a doubleheader question. Women's chances of qualifying after their France defeat. And are we getting carried away with the men's chances too? We should be looking at this one game at a time. I've already made that mistake uh, whilst being recorded today. Very quickly, Ruth, uh, before we go through the ins and outs again, because we did discuss this on the last pod, if I can just get a yes or no for you, do you think that the women will... I'll simplify the question a bit. Will the women qualify for the playoffs? They will because I think because um, all of the teams in second place get into the qualifier, the playoffs in some form. So I think they're definitely going to qualify. I'm, I'm, well, not definitely, but I'm you know I, I'm comfortable in saying that I think they're going to qualify for the playoffs. I think the way the playoffs are organised and the fact that we're probably going to be at the lower end of the seeding of those second place teams is going to make it really difficult to get beyond the playoffs, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. I think if I'm going to follow my own rules, yes, I think we'll make the playoffs. And my gut feeling is, I'm desperately sorry to say, it, I I don't think we will qualify for the tournament itself. Just as you mentioned, the the depth of it is is huge there, and the way you know you know knowing our like, we would get end up in that intercontinental nonsense, and it would be very Wales of the situation. I again, I would absolutely adore to be wrong. Um, Looking at the men's very quickly, well, briefly there, do you do we think we are getting a bit carried away with it? This does lead into our next question as well. How do how can we defeat Austria? Which, in hindsight, even reading that out, um, I suppose hammers home the point. Dyrese, not me, just to, to point out, um, has asked how we defeat Austria. So, do you do you think that you know we are kind of getting a bit carried away with it all? I think I I think I feel like I am. And I think we've got to be careful that we don't get ahead of ourselves. I think having drawn Austria, um, there's perhaps a temptation to think that we got the easy draw. And I think, you know, on paper, you can't, you can't argue that, but that doesn't mean it's not a serious, you know, serious confrontation of a serious game and it's got to be treated as such. Um, so I think we do have to be careful that we don't get giddy about it. Um, as I think, but, you know the, the the nuances of how we structure a team and and their their strengths will will come back to in a later a later pod nearest to March. But I, I think we've got to be careful we don't get ahead of ourselves. I think <coughs> excuse me. I think the question of what's happening with crowds in Wales at the minute is a concern. Hopefully March is far enough away that things will be in a better place by then. But I think suddenly we might be in a position where our main advantage of being at home has evaporated. That's a worry. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there are concerns there, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I um, I do think Austria are beatable. You know, like we've discussed before, they came fourth in not an easy group by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly a, a difficult group. They won five games in a group containing the Faroe Islands and Moldova. So other than the obvious four wins that they've obviously picked up, they've only picked up one other, which I think was against Israel, if my memory serves. So I 
I do think they are beatable. The fact they came fourth in that group is is interesting. To go to Dai's question of what do we have to do to beat them, they're quite a middling team. I mean, I think if I if I go back and look at some of their results here, they've they scored nineteen goals and conceded seventeen, and a lot of those nineteen goals came where you would expect them to come. Um, they've scored They scored four against Moldova, four against Israel, two in the other Israel game, which they still lost 5-2, two against the Pharaohs, um, another two against Moldova. So, you know, in terms of them scoring goals, they didn't actually put that many past the big teams, and they are definitely are a fan of conceding at the moment. They conceded, I don't think they kept a clean sheet in any of the games. Sorry, I think against the, the Pharaohs uh, and the Moldovans uh, in one game each. So they didn't even keep a clean sheet in both of those games, which again, in and of itself, tells you a lot about them. For me, and I know this is going to sound a super, simp- super simple answer, and because I, I don't want to go into the full depth of it now, because we all obviously do be doing something closer to the time, but I think the thing for me is to score. I think... I think we are capable of keeping them out, of, of keeping a clean sheet. Um, so I think if we score, if we score first, I think we win that game. Um, and having just talked about not getting ahead of ourselves, that's exactly what I've done. But I, I, I don't think they're a high-scoring team. They're not a free-scoring team. They will not, you know... They, I would be amazed if they scored two goals, for example, in that game, which is in and of itself the kiss of death. But... Um, I, I do think that it is as simple as that for us. If we can score against them, we'll beat them. Uh, I think that is the the easy answer to that question for me. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, literally, that is the case. But I mean, <laughs> I, what, what I'm trying to say there is, I think, is if I, I don't think scoring against them will be that as difficult as is as it may seem. And if that is the case, then I think that means we will win because I think they won't score which is still just a really I feel like I'm I sound like Michael Owen here don't I um <laughs> like the round thing goes in the net yeah. more often than they're yeah. around <laughs> and if that happens they'll win and if they don't they'll probably lose or draw um there you are Di I hope that's answered your question mate I see this is the this is why people tune into this podcast for this high quality analysis um do you have anything more more sensible to say than me no, 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 no. Let's come. Let's come back to the Austrians nearer to March. Fair enough. Um, because I think, I think, well, I think who's fit, who's playing, um, whether there's a crowd or not, there's a there's a lot of variables there that we'll, we'll need to revisit nearer the date. Yes, I think that's fair. He's also asked um, if if we win and the Scots win, can we finally beat them in a in a last chance saloon game? <laughs> I, I I know people can't see Ruth's face, but Ruth is banging her head against the desk uh, in despair uh, over in over in the states. So I think we'll leave that one die for uh, for closer to the time. Um, I I have a Scottish mate here who uh, who I watch a lot of football with. So I personally I don't think I could deal with the. Uh, the emotional situation that, that would draw up but that is a story for another day um final question from a friend of mine paul o'brien who has asked about players who deserve a second chance at the squad um obviously we've talked about ton lawrence a lot in the past he's someone who is playing very 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 well at the moment um scoring a lot of goals being very influential is being their captain if i took away my personal uh, thing on it i think on a, on a playing level he probably does deserve a shot certainly when it comes to the nation leagues come around I don't, i'm not sure the the playoff game is the right time to bring him back into the squad um you're shaking your head in agreement there um the other one with, that was mentioned there and i don't know if you want to mention any others is is tom bradshaw ruth 
Yeah, he's an, he's an interesting one. He's, he's scoring, you know, fairly regularly for Millwall, particularly recently. Um, and I think we keep, we keep kind of circling this um, plan B striker option. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about Jeff Cup, for example, and, you know, different players. And I don't think any will happen because any, nothing's happened up until now. But he's, he's making a case that if we're going to have a more obvious, genuine second striker in the squad, that he should be under consideration. I think it's a bit of a mute point because I just don't think it's an avenue we're going to go down. I think we would have done so by now if we were going to go down that route. Um, but he's definitely making a case. It's an interesting one. You say making a case. He's, he's only scored, I say only, but I mean, he's scored seven goals this season um, in what are we on? 20, 20, uh, 20 games, give or take. Um, which is not I great. think that's a reflection of how few striker options we have as well, though. The fact that yeah. he's kind of percolated up the list with those sorts of statistics. No, that's fair. Uh, I mean, my take is I did go and see the Bristol City game. As I said, they played Millwall. Um, I will tell you a brief, very quick story that we, me and my mate O's who went to the game, we decided to put a bet on to make the game a little bit more interesting as we didn't really want, we didn't care about who won. Obviously, no one wants Millwall to win, but... Um, we thought we'd put a bet on to make it a bit more interesting. So we had we put a tenner in each that Tom Bradshaw would score, the game would be a draw, both teams would score, and there'd be more than seven corners. And uh, Bristol City scored early to go 1-0 up. Tom Bradshaw equalised to make it 1-1. So at this point, all we need is a few more corners to come around. Um, Millwall got a penalty to make it 2-1 so then everyone around us obviously desperately hoping that Bristol City will score as were we and there was a flurry in the middle of the game where there were like five corners in a row we were looking at each other like bloody hell this is, this is on O's has looked at his thing we're on to win 370 quid if it all comes in you're like bloody hell this is this might happen all we need is an equaliser Andy Vineman equalises for Bristol and if if you didn't know us, you would have sworn that me and O's were the biggest die-hard Bristol City fans <laughs> in the history of the world as we were jumping about celebrating like lunatics. 2-2. Two, two. Um, everything's going well. We need one more corner and we're on for 370 quid as long as the score stays the same. In classic comedy style, uh, with about six minutes to go, Andy Vineman completes his hat-trick. Bristol City go 3-2 up. And we were like, well, you know, it's not a draw, but everything else was right. We, you know, the corners, we'd still needed one more corner at this point. So it was like, oh, well, never mind. We, you know, we've had a good old go at it. And uh, in the last minute, with the score at 3 2, Millwall get a corner. So we're looking at each other like, oh my God, imagine they score from this corner. What are we going to do? And someone. Suddenly you're a Millwall fan. <laughs> exactly. All of a sudden, I'm dying the wool Millwall. And uh, needless to say, the corner comes to nothing. A bit of a scramble. That there was a someone fell over in the hope of getting a penalty. And me, me, I had to kind of hold those down at one point. Where just like, don't shout for it. Don't shout for it. <laughs> uh, and at one point, it looked at the cash out, which was 180 quid or something. I was saying to him, "Now nah, I'll be fine, mate. We'll ride this out. Two two's the score. This is going to happen, mate. This is going to happen." He was less than impressed after it being 180 quid when he looked back at it after with it with the two minutes to go that it was it had gone from 180 quid to one pound 80 cash out so uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was less than ideal anyway um i very much enjoyed the day if, if anyone is a bristol fan who's listening i like really enjoyed the new that they've redeveloped one part of the ground it was lovely and we had found some cracking pubs we found a pub in fact the new best pub i've ever been to we bought two uh pints of cider um and two 
packets of crisps each. £5.20 it was, Ruth. I could not believe it. O's, who was the tightest man alive, thought Christmas had come and come around again. He thought it was Christmas 2022. Anyway, um, to finish my point, as I've waffled for long enough, I thought Bradshaw, I know he scored, but really didn't contribute to the game in any way. He kind of kept getting dragged out wide, which is exactly what the defenders wanted. He couldn't use the ball centrally. They were getting a lot of service, especially in the first 60 minutes or so. Um, And he was just kind of completely anonymous, did a lot of running around, but kind of nothing that actually came to anything. So having seen him play in the flesh, I appreciate it's only one game. I'm not sure he is someone who I would... Um, be kind of in a rush, if you like, to, uh, to to get involved looking at what our options are and the way we play. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. he's, he's any way capable of replacing Kiefer Moore and the way we play when he does play for us. So for me, I, I would say I would say it's a no there. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think it's a bit of a mute point, but I think he might, you know, he's higher up that list than perhaps he well, he is higher up that list than he would have been six months ago. Yeah, and and you know if it comes to it, and we need someone, and there's injuries, then you know, sure, give him a go. You know, we, you know, uh, it it shows the times that we there's a player who's scoring a, a decent amount of goals in the championship, and we're I don't want to say turning our noses up at him, but certainly there's an element of that. So I do mm-hmm. I do suppose that's a that's a sign of how we've that's how uh, a sign of how we've changed. Um, I can hear a dog barking, and I can smell <laughs> I can smell. Uh, I can smell lovely smells from downstairs. So I think it might be time for my tea. Um, I sound like a toddler. But um, I think we've gone through all our questions. So thank you to everyone who sent us those questions. Um, do you have anything to add, Ruth? No, just wish everyone a happy new year. Um, and I hope, uh, let's hope for good, th- good things for 2022. I will echo that wholeheartedly. Happy New Year to all. Thank you for listening. Um, we are going to try and be a bit more regular here. We're looking at trying to do every two weeks or so. So... Um, Thank you for sticking with us. We hope to to be back with you in a couple of weeks. I have no idea what we'll talk about. Probably the end of the transfer window where Newcastle have signed all of the players I want them to sign and they're all Welsh. Uh, that is that is my dream uh, outcome <laughs> to January. So we will be in touch soon. We will speak to you very shortly. Um, thank you very much for listening. Happy New Year and goodbye. Bye-bye.